0: Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts off the post, Tom. Ping. The How you feeling?
1: We're doing. We're getting there. We're, we're working on it.
0: We're slogging. We're slogging through. We're finding a way to get things I'm going. here.
1: That's what's important.
0: As opposed to some people. Um, let's <clears> jump Joe. right into it, Tom. Sure. Let's do I it. Notice, unlike Joe, I like to look at the questions before the show. And we had several questions pertaining to... A young Finnish boy named Jesse puljarvi or Jesse puljarvi depending on who you ask. Or Jesse Jarvi, if you're Joe, I'm sure. Um, so the questions related to Jesse puljarvi include, What would a trade for Jesse Poolyarvi look like? How aggressively should the Rangers p- pursue a puljarvi trade? He has to sign by December 1st to play the season, but should New York rush to get a deal done? And then, can I please piggyback off this question to ask what a deal for JP would look like thanks Tom what would it take to get Jesse Pugliardi so um, it, it all comes down to
1: me it's what Edmonton's account, what their, their end goal is because if they're just looking to turn the page um, on this situation and not have it something that's looming uh, in the summer um, I think that they will be reasonable in their ask They'll understand that he's a player while there's a lot of potential there, he's got youth on his side, he doesn't have much of a track record where they can sort of leverage a higher return Um, on the other hand. If they're willing to let this you know it's fine if he doesn't sign we'll keep him in the organization we'll hope that our winning season or they hope it's a winning season is enough to convince him that he wants to be a part of the solution in edmonton uh that that's another road that it could go down to um so i i think that they're going to keep an open mind but if we were to sort of put it in a ballpark um in terms of a draft pick i think they would ask for a second they would get a third and then they would all ask for a player of around the same age so like a 20 or 21 year old player um i haven't admittedly looked at comparable trades of uh you know unsigned high draft pick prospects but i, I think it all comes down to and the thing to consider is that Edmonton has a new general manager in Ken Holland. Yeah. Uh, Ken Ken Holland did not draft him, and uh, you know Edmonton's it's okay. early, but they're off to a great start. You know with McDavid, and uh, Leon Dreisaitl, and James Neal has looked like a new man. Um, so, you know while Poole Yarvey is playing well overseas, he might take notice of this and say, you know what, it's a new coach, it's a new general manager, it's a new environment. You know maybe I I want to uh be a part of this so um short answer is it really depends on what edmonton wants to do if they feel that they can keep him and convince him to stay they'll you know the they won't take just any offer it would have to be something that knocks their socks off but if they're just looking to move on um you know third round pick and a decent prospect
0: yeah that's it feels like that's around where it is. I know, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman had talked about, you know, a previous offer included uh, from Tampa who offered their prospect, Alexander Volkov, um, you know, who's an AHL guy right now. I think he's 22. Um, you know, he has back-to-back 23 goal seasons in the AHL. And I think apparently uh, the San Louis Blues offered uh, Klim Kostin, Who's 20? Um, you know, he's also had a couple of good seasons in the AHL. and but the idea that I've heard so far is that it's going to take a prospect and a little more. So, you know, Edmonton's going to want to get a body back, uh, potentially a body they could plug into their lineup, and they're also going to want, you know, like you said, a draft pick, and that might be a third round pick. I'm I'm leaning towards it being a second round pick just because. There's definitely a lot of interest in Puliarvi. I know that uh, Ken Holland is actually going over to Finland. Um, I think it's this week he should be in Finland uh, for a, a tournament that that Puliarvi will be participating in. But I think the point you raised, Tom, about that he this is not a guy that Holland has drafted is an important one because it's like it's not his guy. Um, you know, it's like this is not a prospect he's married to, and you know, I feel like. He's going to be patient. He's been at he's been at this game for a while, but you know, just because it's not his guy, I don't think he's in any rush here because you know his team is what it is now, and he can turn Pugliarvi into a valuable asset they get back. But if he has a, this many competitors, and it sounds like he has a lot of teams, the Rangers being one of them, which is why you know I'm sure we had this many questions related to is this has been, the Rangers are considered one of the teams that has really been knocking on the door about this. And I got to say, I like the idea of going for him, but as always, it comes down to the cost, Tom. And, you know, the Rangers do have a slew of prospects, some of which are more coveted than others. Obviously, you know, I've seen a couple of people floating the idea of Leah Anderson be, being involved in a trade here. And, you know, which is... Certainly interesting, to say the least. Uh, you know, and looking at looking at this from all the angles, there, we just don't know enough right now. Is my biggest takeaway. But am I intrigued? Absolutely. What's it going to cost a young player and a pick? And that might be only the start of it. There might be other aspects to the deal. Um, and it's important to note that Pulijarvi is kind of kicking ass and taking names in the Finnish league right now. He's not like leading the league in scoring, but for a guy his age, he looks really really good and you know his his NHL career to date has been definitely rocky but he was playing for the Edmonton Oilers so uh there is that angle to this which is pretty important
1: and a lot of time spent with uh Milan Lucic which did not help
0: no did not help uh even a little bit so there is I mean it's really fascinating because for a team like the Rangers that wants you know, you, you look at this Rangers team, Tom, and, you know, Pugliarvi is a winger. Um, and, you know, there's Kravstov, and, you know, and he's such a exciting, you know, winger prospect, and, you know, they have some other guys, of course, you know, they have enough guys on the team in terms of Capo Caco comes to mind, um, where they have some really exciting options at the wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bucinevic is not that old, of course, and but, you know, would the Rangers want to give up Leas Anderson knowing they have... Yeah, that
1: would be really stupid, and I don't think that don't, that would ever happen.
0: It, it would really, really surprise me. I'll well, put it that way.
1: Like, there's no way that, that... Like, number one, if the Oilers asked for that, I think the Rangers would laugh. Like, you know, say what you will about Leas Anderson, but he's a guy that's in the NHL now, right? He's... Uh, a 7th overall pick and you know the from the Rangers perspective they can be like we're very center heavy so we're sort of taking a slow burn with him they're like look um, what's the best way I can say this would I be surprised if at some point in the next 24 months Lee Sanderson was traded no but they would not do it in a maybe deal for someone like Yessi Pugliari it would be something so by the that way,
0: 21 um, well, you know, he's, he was a, the fourth overall pick in the 2016 draft. And what he is, is a big, skilled winger. He's a four winger. Um, and right now, in the Finnish league, playing with Karpat in, in Liga, he has 11 goals and 9 assists in 18 games. So, very good counting stats. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, last season Edmonton, 9 points in 46 games. Uh, the year before that, he had 20 points in 65 games. So, a little more... A little more promising in, t- in terms of, you know, 12 goals in 65 games. Uh, he is a guy I think is definitely tantalizing, but I would definitely like you pause before considering moving Leah Sanderson. I think the the fan base in general's, you know, where they put stock in Leah Sanderson is, is really fascinating and also at times disappointing. That they're just kind of unwilling to to let this guy be the sort of player he's supposed to be. Uh, but speaking of that, Tom, it, that kind of transitions well to a question that we specifically got about Leas Anderson. So you're comfortable moving on from Puglia talk, or is there more to... More nope, to that was, Nope, I think we're good. Okay. I mean, it is big. It is big. I mean, for a team that wants to get younger and, rebe- you know, in a build, rebuild, whatever the hell they call it, they definitely have to listen. Uh, from Nick DiPola, do you think Anderson could use a month or two in Hartford? He can't develop in the role he's in now and it'd be poor management to pigeonhole a seventh overall pick into a fourth liner so soon into his career do you think there's even a chance nyr goes this route
1: um so i touched upon this in a story that ran on monday um basically sort of looking what the rangers should do when sabana jets back in the lineup um and really what they should do and what i don't expect them to do is send brett howden down and the reason for that is that howden has had more than enough time uh, in the role that he's been in at the nhl level we're going now on we had you know his first season we've now had the start of this season um and he hasn't been a great fit as a third line center his underlings are not great His counting stats are not great, despite playing with some offensive-minded players. Um, And he's someone that he was in the WHL. He had, I think it was four games at the AHL level. Um, Then the season after that, he was in the WHL, and then the Rangers trade for him. And then he, he goes to the NHL to start his career. So I think he's someone that could have benefited from some time in the AHL, whereas at this point with Leas Anderson, he's been pigeonholed into a fourth-line center role. I want to see an extended period where he's on a third line with people that can put the puck in the net, you know, not with Michael Haley or Brendan Smith. Yeah, um,
0: Leas Anderson's most frequent line mates. Brendan Smith, Michael Haley. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like After that, it's Greg McKegg like i think forwards that's that's the guys he's been playing with and after greg mckeg you go down to brendan lemieux um it's, it's a real as row in terms of the rangers forwards
1: and like i think the quote from quinn was like oh um leas has to produce or leas has to show something or whatever it's like he has like you have to look at it from an overarching perspective. And the metrics I'd use, um, you, know, um, you know, shot share percentage, goals for percentage, and expected goals, where while Anderson has not had the actual goals come, he's done the things that should result in goals being scored, where the same cannot be said about Mr. Howden. Um, I-, I think that you, if you want to say that Anderson may be a guy whose ceiling is a third line center, that's fine but let's give the guy a real chance to play with people that have some offensive know-how and then we'll make an opinion but he's been pretty much a fourth line center and if you're expecting him to, to to contribute offensively I'd like to know what what bridge you're selling me
0: it's a very fair point like uh, I don't know the way I look at this you know to be frank is I feel like the usage of Leah Sanderson represents a failure from the coaching staff more than an, an indictment on the play of Leah Sanderson. At 5-on-5, five five, Tom, he's averaging in 12 games 7 minutes and 39 seconds a game. Ridiculous. The guy, just, like, what is that? What sort of ice time is that for, for a kid that you want to develop?
1: He's gotten more... TV time and web time and interviews, and he has ice time in the last few days. It's, like, incredible.
0: Yeah, which is why we get this question from Nick, and, you know, it's it's a fair question. Is this, like, is this good for him? Is this what his development looks like, is getting seven and a half minutes of five on five every night? And, you know, what, what does David Quinn expect to, like, what does David expect to get out of that udder. Like, if, if that's all if that's all the opportunity that Leah Anderson gets, then I don't really know what, what there is to expect. But it, I don't know. Like, it's very interesting when you look at you know, the numbers closely. Like, it should come as no surprise that he's getting buried in the shot share based on who his line mates are. Um, you know, but, like, overall, when I, I look at his play, I'm like, I don't think Leah Anderson is a problem, Tom. Yeah. Like I, I I don't know though I, I want very badly for him to get a fair shake I just don't know if it happens like what I do I think he would I think he might benefit from Hartford but I also think it might be disastrous to you know in the flagship we talked about confidence with Philip Heedle I think assigning Leah Sanderson to Hartford might be disastrous to his confidence or whatever yeah. confidence he has left.
1: Yeah, I just don't know how, in good faith, you can assign Leas Anderson to Hartford. Well, Houghton has pretty much been in the same role, and there's not been any sort of um, accountability for his play. Like, I think off the top of my head, he has three points on the year, and two of them came in one game. And it's a situation of—and this is not to pick on Brett Howden— I like Brett Howden a lot. Um, I think that he's someone that can have value to this organization, but it all comes down to how they're going to develop. Um, it's it's And again, like part of this, it's interesting. So, Philip Heidel was someone they drafted. Leah Sanderson was someone they drafted. Um, they've had no problem assigning those two players to Hartford, but... In the case of Brett Howden, someone that was looked upon as a key return of the Ryan McDonough trade. All they've done is keep him in the NHL level and trying to put him in a position to succeed. And the reason I say a position to succeed on the third line is that there's no way he's going to you know, play ahead of um, you know, Mika Zibanejad. And then obviously last year, he wasn't going to play ahead of Kevin Hayes. Um, so i don't know if the rangers feel like demoting howden would be admitting some type of failure um, but like he's not really played in the AHL and sometimes you just need that ability where you're it's it even is it's not even so much you're playing against different competition it's you're playing like a different game whereas if he's the top line center he's going to be thinking more offensive minded and then you know that's something that can translate to when he's on the third line where He's trying to focus on playing a defensively responsible game, but he might see avenues where, oh, I can jump up in this play and, you know, get the play going. Um, But he's not going to have that opportunity unless he's put in, in, you know, the appropriate situations.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, We we tackled this question, I think. We'll we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, Next. From Richard Cologne, which of the following players do you think are part of the future or guys the Rangers should trade. So, Butch, Tony D'Angelo, give Brendan Lemieux, and Leas Anderson.
1: Um, so, Butch Nevich is a part of the future. For how long remains to be seen. Um, it's gonna. Anderson
0: should be a part of the future.
1: I agree with Anderson. D'Angelo is a wait and see just because they've invested... In Jacob Truba, and they have Adam Fox, so it becomes a, a situation of what they yeah. could potentially spend.
0: The Tony and D'Angelo question is my favorite question out of October, just because, you know, in October he had four goals. So, but he is a guy who was nearly a holdout. You know, he held out of, uh, you know, training camp and most of the preseason, and now we have the situation. Like you said, you have Truba, you have Fox. Both of those guys are going to be here for a long, long time, Tom. Mm hmm then you have tony d'angelo who's a pending rfa he's a guy who his trade value can go up but it's already damaged based on his reputation as a player right which he can
1: he can sort of help himself this year if he's able to play no but
0: some some stains don't come out you know what i mean like well yeah there are teams in the league who will say thanks no thanks um and that is what it is. I think Lemieux is definitely not a part of the long term, and Georgiev, it all depends on Igor Shosturkin and Georgiev and figuring out realistically what Hank's workload looks like. I think it's really like a, you know, it's a, a rigged coin toss in favor of Shosturkin being here and Georgiev not being here in this, you know, within the next two years. Yeah,
1: and... To that, I would also say not only that, but I think if you look at it from the perspective of not so much what what's the better value, what you could potentially get from Gorgiev via trade, or what he could offer as a goalie in a 1A, 1B type situation eventually with Shashirkin. Um,
0: I mentioned this before. Goalie trades don't happen that often, and when they do, they're, they're not exactly what i think most people anticipate them to be well yeah and i think the alternative
1: there though is like with the expansion draft coming up um you know that's someone that they would not protect so it's it's almost like you're going to lose him
0: one way or another so
1: you kind of want to move him if
0: you yeah it makes sense like why why lose him in the expansion draft if you can you know turn him into assets, you know, and trade him to a team that would want to protect him in, in exchange expansion draft, but...
1: Trade I mean, him to yeah. Toronto. They can't beat him.
0: There you go. You have to find that suitor, though, and that's the, the real question, but I think that that was everyone. Booch, I think it goes without saying he should be a part of the, the immediate future in mm-hmm. terms of, like, after his current contract. I don't know, either way. It depends, but, uh, you know, even though he's been moved around the forward lines, it's... Pavel Buchnevich on a team that has a lot of guys who are really impressive at making plays, stands out still as a great playmaking winger. And I I really think he should stick around, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being a, a casualty of a trade at some point.
1: And it's early because he's already make, he's making me eat my words a little bit where I told, I said I think prior to the season I wanted Bucnevich to shoot more, but he's made like a lot of really nice passes, so yeah, you know. He,
0: his ability to make passes through traffic and make those quick little, t- like yeah, it's something that we're starting to see more and more. I think Capo is starting to look a little more confident moving the puck around mm-hmm. um, and like the way Panarin moves the puck is just unbelievable but like, uh You think of all those playmakers on the wing, like yeah, keep them. I want all the guys who can do that. And Lemieux is kind of in a similar situation to Tony D'Angelo in that he's a pending RFA, but Mm -hmm. the difference with Lemieux is that he's a bottom six winger, whereas Tony D'Angelo is a right side defenseman who can move the puck and excels at carrying it out of his zone. He's a desirable commodity in terms of what he does on the ice. Mm -hmm. Brendan Lemieux, this is not again not meant to be a slight of him. It's He's kind of a dime a dozen player in the NHL. Like mm-hmm. he's not, he's nothing to write home about. He's a young guy in the agitating role in the bottom six role, and you know we saw him have you know a 17 penalty minute game against Ottawa, and I think it was one of those cases where the other team's shit stir, Brady Kachuk uh, got the better of him. But you know that is what it is. Uh, moving on to the next one, Tom from Panera in 2020, uh, one of our patrons. Hey Joe and Mike, with the way Heda Lindgren have played, how long do we think the stall situation goes before it reaches critical mass? What do we think the resolution is?
1: So, I would say with some level of certainty, just sort of how the Ottawa game went, um, I think stall draws back in. Because Hayek, you know, he sort of had a little bit of a rough game But it's also of the games where you'd want to bring stall back in, you know Notice respect to the Red Wings, but they're a bit of a softer opponent um, In the terms of you know, they're not one of the better teams in the league Whereas you wouldn't want to bring stall back against the Carolina Hurricanes who are one of the best teams in the league um, so I think that He'll he'll come back in for Hayek and Lindgren go, will stay in because Lindgren is pretty good and then my question will be is are they gonna sort of rework the pairings with Stahl coming back in um, will he go back with Truba will you know or will Shea go with Truba or will you know uh, Fox go back with uh, with Stahl it's um, a lot of interesting possibilities.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like Hayek will likely be the first person to sit. I don't think, in terms of the eye test, I don't think Ryan Lindgren has done anything to, to you know, be punitively healthy scratched. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like or Hayek, his stock has been on the decline, whereas Lindgren's has been on the rise. And you know, uh, I don't think Lindgren is a second pair NHL defenseman one day, but you know, he's a guy who I think if he plays within his game, he can be a serviceable. You know, bottom pairing guy. And right now, that's the Rangers would definitely benefit from having a young guy like Lindgren carve that role out for himself. I also think it just, I don't think we see Mark Stahl in street clothes watching games very long. I, I think, like, I'm encouraged we saw it just because of the whole accountability issues that have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, arisen with, with David Quinn, especially with last season with Shannon Kirk, um, you know, and looking at all that. And of course, Brendan Smith, but. With, with the way things have gone here, I, I, don't, I maybe Brendan Smith gets scratched, but then who who else will play for it? I don't know, Tom. Um, I would I would imagine it's going to be Leaper Hayek, though.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all right, yeah. So let's move on to from Larry Bubbs, Tom. Do we know how Keandre is doing? Meaning Keandre Miller, admittedly not a college hockey watcher, but his numbers seem down from last year. And I haven't heard his name much, to be honest. So Keandre has four points
1: in eight games three of which are goals um you know i'm a college hockey fan but more so like d3 hockey um just because i you know i have rooting interest in you know terms of my brother's school and my former college um but as far as the ncaa their scheduling is it's not like you know nhl schedules where you're playing a bunch of games you know throughout a week so it's hard to evaluate just by looking at point totals because you know when you're a team like Wisconsin you're gonna play some really strong teams you're gonna play some really weak teams so it's entirely possible that you know without having looked at it and you know this is something that you know I can sort of or me or Mike can sort of poke Adam in our slack channel you know maybe he writes about it in like a future update Um, you know sort of how did Keandre get his points last year was it a situation where he was taking advantage of a soft schedule or was it more balanced and things of that nature? Um, but I just think as a, a point of, of saying, this is his second year in the NCAA and the book on Keandre last year was that this is a guy that is a was a forward that was converted to defense. So there wasn't really an expectation or of a, an understanding of how good this guy could be. So he has the season he did last year. So he's probably getting a little bit more of attention as a defender who now people know he can join the rush and be offensive. Where last year he might have flew uh, a little bit under the radar.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely something that also like just looking quickly at you know Wisconsin's schedule. um, You know, right now they're from US, the the NCAA and the USCHOs. uh, You know power rankings and their pull. Like Wisconsin is ranked as the 12th team in the nation, and thus far they've played. You know Clarkson, who's the eighth ranked team, Minnesota Duluth, the seventh ranked team, Uh, Penn State, who is the sixth ranked team, and they've played. Who else did they play? Merrimack and Boston College. So um, you know Merrimack was a team they absolutely obliterated, I believe, and. You know, Boston College is ranked 19th, so they have played, you know, a relatively rocky schedule after, you know, having a somewhat easy start, I think, yeah, they, 11-5 was the final score of that Merrimack game, so putting up 11 goals in a game is pretty good, but, yeah, like, uh, Country Miller has three goals in in eight games, Tom, he had five goals all of last season, um, you know, in 26 games, so... That looks good. Uh, you know, the fact that he has just the one assist, I guess, is the real thing that's impacting his counting stats. And, you know, nearly a point-per-game player as a defenseman and also, you know, led the team in scoring for an extended period of time. But the thing is, I think another factor here might be the fact that Wisconsin's offense has changed dramatically because Cole Caulfield's a Badger this year. And Cole Caulfield has eight goals in eight games. It's, it's you know, the offense is a little different looking than it was I would say to say the least than than you know what we saw last season but you know Keandre is second on the team among defenders in scoring and he has more goals than any other uh any other Badgers defenseman right now in fact he's tied for third on the team in goals um you know and that's that to me is you know in an eight game sample size there's nothing to be alarmed with there in my opinion that just you know more points are going to come as the season progresses, right?
1: Yeah, and it's like you said, it's early, but you it's know. It's early,
0: Larry. Don't sweat it.
1: Yeah, don't sweat the small stuff.
0: Um, from Alex Khalifa, why is there such a need to compare Georgiev and Lunquist in some circles? Giving Hank a rest, a chance to rest more often makes sense. I'm not sure, Alex. Uh, I think so, uh, Henrik Lundquist, I think, is a. Is becoming somewhat polarizing in, in, in Rangers social media and in, in Twitter. Rangers fans on Twitter, I know, you know, there are a lot of people who think he's kind of washed up and overpaid. Um, you know, I've seen some of the things about you know him being Swiss cheese and all that, but uh, I don't think any of that holds any water. And I don't think it's a bad thing to let Georgiev have more starts right now.
1: Well, yeah, the the goal is to have Lundqvist play in fewer games than he did last year. And the schedule it was kind of wonky to start the year. So if there are opportunities for, you know, uh, you know, Gorgie to go on a little bit of a run, you know, just let it go. It's, you know, the schedule is going to balance itself out. And we're going to have these situations later in the year with like, oh, Hank's playing his fifth in a row or, you know, whatnot. And, you know, it's, I, I, don't get it much either because
0: yeah, well, well, i don't think it's a case of like yorgiev like is like hank doesn't deserve it or yorgiev deserves it more just henrik lundqvist is a goalie who's in the twilight of his career alexander yorgiev is a guy the rangers really want to know as much about as they can because they need to find a guy who can hopefully step into that that throne and mm-hmm. i don't think like we probably don't talk about this enough Igor Shosturkin and Alexander Georgiev have massive skates to fill with Lundqvist and the fact that Georgiev has been this good is a gigantic story unto itself and Shosturkin's start in Hartford is a great promising start Mm -hmm. but even then it's it's not a bad thing to have these young goalies doing well and we don't need to compare them to Lundqvist to appreciate what they're doing and I don't know. It's uh, you know. It's it is what it is. You know. I, I'm I'm not in a rush to kick Henrik Lundqvist out of New York. I guess that's one way to put it.
1: Yeah, and he's gonna
0: if he wants to finish his career
1: here, that's what's gonna happen. And I know people have said, well, you know, should we think about trading him or, you know, it's time for him to go. Just full stop. If he wants to end his career here, he's not leaving. And that's all I have to say about that.
0: From David Elsinger, do you think we overpaid for Truba?
1: What's this "we" shit? I mean, I pay for a lot of stuff that I shouldn't, but I don't remember cutting any uh, any checks. But uh you know, I'll
0: I'm guessing David means the contract. As to the
1: contract. Yeah. Oh yeah. I- I'm being a little bit sarcastic. No, um, I know. I'm just throwing it yeah. out. There. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's still early, and one of the things to consider is that Truba has spent a lot of time with libor hayek and um it hasn't gone well so i'd like to see truba with some minutes away from hayek before we sort of get into this but i think an interesting thing to look at and this is not to compare um you know defenders specifically but just sort of how contracts seem to escalate so the roman yossi contract right that's in the nine million dollar range you know you're gonna have alex petrangelo he's gonna need a new deal soon so when those deals going up would have bumped the needle up for truba just a little bit in terms of this is what the market value is and i'm x you know percent comparable to them so um I, i think it's a little bit early but in the long run it's not gonna look that bad
0: yeah, I feel like, you know, it's the thing that you touched on with, you know, the fact that with with Yossi's deal, like, yeah, the bottom line here is the Rangers paid the sort of price you pay to, to get a guy like Jacob Truba locked up. And did they overpay? I think they did a little bit, but they, they made a lot of big moves. They traded for him. They, you know, they found themselves in a tough spot with wanting to give him... A contract that made him happy after the contract negotiations he had that soured in Winnipeg. And yeah, you know, I would have preferred him to, you know, to come in under, you know, the, the $8 million a year cap hit. But that is, it didn't surprise me that a right side defenseman that this team envisioned to be their first pair guy uh, to help rebuild a flawed defense would get this kind of contract. They wanted that foundational piece um, because they're moving away from a guy who they used to think was a foundational piece and Mark Stahl in the next two years. And you know they, they locked up Brady Shea uh, you know, for 5.25 million. He's the same age as Truba. And thus far, he hasn't really lived up to expectations. And they wanted more of a sure thing. And they were willing to pay for it. And they found a way to create the room uh, to pay for it, and that's why we got where we are. So the answer is, yeah, but not really, because that's kind of what you have to do if you want to lock up a guy like Jacob Truba. Um, Timothy Steven, this is kind of related. What do you guys think is the issue behind the Rangers being poor in asset management?
1: Um, I think there's a couple of different things. Part of it is that the Rangers, for the longest time, they were trying to sort of serve two masters in the sense that they were telling themselves we're trying to contend we're going to rebuild on the fly and then they decided well now we're actually going to have to fully rebuild um so when you're sort of in it somewhat and out of it somewhat you're pulling in two completely opposite directions so you're going to um make trades for the wrong reasons um so i just think it's a situation of them not being sure what they wanted to be when they grown up but now they kind of have this goal in mind and they're going to look to move forward um you know doing things in the line of the rebuild
0: yeah i i think that might be it the kind of the growing pains of transitioning away from a team that's Making additions at the deadline as opposed to a team that's subtracting at the deadline. Um, I think that Jeff Gordon's you know, trade record has been pretty solid. I think the contracts he's handed out have not been very inspiring. Not good in general. Um, I lean towards them being, you know, him being in the red as opposed to breaking even. Um, not deep in the red, mind you, but I look at specifically. Uh, you know the deals that, and again, I, I will say this and make it clear: I was in favor of the Brendan Smith contract, uh, not a good contract. I was I was way off on that. I know a lot of people were. Um, I was also I was very suspicious of the Strom and uh, I, I'm sorry the Spooner and Vlad Domestikov deals, both soured quickly. I was alarmed by the Brady Shea deal, that soured quickly, and looking at. You know, all things considered, I think it, there's some growing pains here, and I also think the Rangers have had some unique players that, you know, they overrated Vlad Nemestikov potentially, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted to, uh, like, I think they wanted, they liked the idea of Nemestikov and and Spooner filling in the holes in the top nine, maybe even the top six, while kids developed, right? Because those are the bodies that got back in those big blockbuster trades. And what they discovered was these were not the guys they we thought they were, or these were not the guys that our head coach likes, because they also changed coaches in you know in this span. Like the the cell the fire sale began while Elaine Vigneault was behind the bench, and then David Quinn became the head coach last season. And David Quinn didn't like anything about uh, Ryan Spooner, and that helped that contract fall apart. And Quinn also didn't like very much about and Smith, and that didn't help that contract look any better. So, uh, looking at like all things considered, I think there's a lot of reasons why the asset management has gone the way it has. But you know, it's uh, thankfully you know we're going to learn a lot about things in terms of what happened this past offseason because the Rangers spent a ton of money, to it. and uh, you know they paid a lot of money specifically for Panarin and. Truba, and you know the contracts that come up next are really fascinating to me like what this team decides to do with Chris Kreider is going to tell us a lot about what this front office is all about and maybe the same could be said of Tony D'Angelo as the season progresses here and he proves to be more and more valuable as a guy who's on the ice and now I think we just got one more Tom an email question um from Mike Strump um I was at the Tampa game on a date. I hope that went well for you, Mike. Uh, and I'm happy to say it was really nice to see some puck possession. It was very noticeable. My question is, if Ryan Strom continues to play well, do you think he can be part of this rebuild? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think we kind of covered this on the flagship. We did. Um, Yeah. So m- my thoughts pretty much would be that he's a player that, realistically he might have one two good seasons left but if you can get a somewhat decent return at the deadline you do it because the contract that he could attract you know doesn't make it worth it for the rangers
0: yeah uh, could he be a part of this rebuild i don't think there's anything wrong with ryan Strom as a as a guy who you know plays in the bottom 6 that you don't pay very much money. The problem is that is not the role he's carved that this that he's carved out for himself, I should say, and also that the organization seems willing to give him or willing to assign to him. Strom is making 3.1 million. Um, you know or rather that's you know that's what his cap it is, you know. His salary this year is actually 3.2 million. I would not want a contract where that is his base salary. Or that's his average base salary, pretty much regardless of the the term of it. Uh, I just don't think that would end well in you know, end well for the Rangers. Is he a short term solution? I'm not you know, I hesitate to use the w solution. He's a kind of a placeholder guy, right? Um, he's a placeholder guy who's shooting twenty percent and that's just my take on it and that's Tom's take on it. I know that not everyone feels the way we do. Uh, but I think it would a lot of things would have to break down specifically with Leas Anderson and Philip Heedle, and also to some extent Brett Howden for for Ryan Strom to suddenly become part of this this build and the rebuild. I don't think there's a real future for Strom in New York, but we've been wrong before, Tom. I was wrong about Brandon Smith. It wrong happens. About i think that's it it was, a, it was a pretty long off the post we kind of went long on that and that pull thing, but that one is definitely a fascinating question all right is that, do that you have anything else to say to the lovely people tom
1: thanks as always for supporting the podcast it uh it means a lot and uh
0: thanks for to tom for fucking struggling through with the, with his vocal cords betraying him here
1: thanks for having me mike and uh joe as
0: well yeah, Joe is a whale, and uh, I don't know if we'll ever see Joe again. He hates us. Alright, goodbye, folks. Be good to each other.